to appreciate God for those who are joining us online uh, on our Facebook page. You are watching this live or you are um, watching this after it's been recorded. God knows why you are hearing my words now. Uh, and I just want you to know that he is with you. We do have a, a, a bit of presence on social media. We can increase some more, but we do have some presence that many of us are not aware of. So I'd like to emphasize them every time. On YouTube, we are on LiveGate Outreach TV. Please subscribe to it. Um, podcasts, all, most of the Android and iOS platforms were there. LiveGate Outreach Center. We have loads of messages, almost 300 as at the last count. Not all the messages we've preached in this church, just messages from the year 2016, uh, 2017 until date. Um, we have, by the grace of God, done much more than that. But we have about 300 in that place that you can access. At times when I'm traveling, I put on some of these messages. And believe me, I'm very surprised at some of the things I hear, even though I was the one saying them from two years ago tells you how much God can speak. So I can imagine that some of those things, if we listen to them again, it will do us good. You are traveling to work. Don't listen to some music telling you that hell is on the whole earth and you are singing it. Just listen to the word of God and be charged up again because God is set to do something new in the name of Jesus. So I want to thank God for your lives and I want to believe God that you are here expectant today because uh, it is the expectation of the righteous that shall not be cut off. I want to welcome you to our brand new series called Celebrating Christ, the Son of the Living God. Let's give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. Celebrating Christ, the Son of the Living God. And if I can have our banner, it is a, an eight-part series, which is typical of most of our series. Uh, and uh, you can see the eight topics there. And uh, we are starting today with the author and finisher of our faith. All these ways that we'll be looking at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, are ways that the uh, gospel according to St. John have identified him and more. There are many more, but we are concentrating on these eight. I believe we all know that John gave us the seven I am's of Jesus Christ. Who can confidently recite them with me? I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. I am, what is in John chapter 8? I am the light of the world. And then John chapter 10 has two. One of it is I am the gate or the door. Some would say the door. And then the fourth one is I am the good shepherd. And then in John chapter 11, uh, remember John chapter 8, we've said I am the light of the world, that woman that was caught in adultery, I'm the light of the world. And then he also said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And then in um, John chapter 14, that one you should remember, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except, no one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, the last one is in John 15, John um, 15, when he said, I am the true vine. Okay, All of them are in the book of John. We have done some series many years ago on those things. But in this series, we are going to look at certain other things that Christ did not necessarily call himself, but he is. He was and he is. And that will help us to see him and celebrate him some more. As we come to the build-up of Christmas, um, in a few weeks' time, it will be Christmas again, and uh, God laid on my heart, very, very early this year that we should, as much as possible, put the word out there for the world once again, not just for the Christmas week like most churches would do, emphasize it around the Christmas week, which is good, but to spend some time to emphasize why we should celebrate this Son of God that was born to us and we celebrate at Christmas. So it is really all about a build-up to Christmas this year, to be quite frank, but I want you to take each week as something that you should soak in to understand the person of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in this very first session, we are going to look at him, and then we'll be taking each of the exposition from 
the chunks of the book in a series. So we'll start with John chapter 1, John chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 in this series. Then next week we'll look at John chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. And then the third week like that, John chapter 7, 8, and 9, 10, 11, 12, and like that. And then the last week we'll just look at 19 and 20 and then 21 to end it up. So please uh, make sure that you avail yourself of the wisdom of God that will be coming through in these things. And I believe God that our lives will never remain the same in Jesus' name. I say your life will never remain the same in Jesus' name. You see, I learned something when I was an engineering student. And our lecturers were telling us that some of the things we are teaching you now, some of the principles may not make sense to you. He said, but when you start to practice, he said, some of the things will now be clearer. Because when you are applying those things, it will be clear to you that those principles were to help you. This is how I see the teaching of the word of God. When we are going through them, it may not look like much fun. It may not look like a heavy thing, but just take it in. The day you will need it, in the day of declaration, the day of faith, the day of battle, you'll find yourself regurgitating it because you've allowed the word to come into you. So this is what we do with every teaching session. Today we are going to start with Hebrews 12. I know our text is John 1, John 2, John 3, but we are going to start with Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great... A cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Thank you. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run. Say with me, let us run with endurance the race, the race that is set before us. This is very important. A Christian that does not understand he's running a race will be frustrated, not achieve anything, will, will find lack of fulfillment, will give up easily, will do everything that an athlete would not do. This is why the Bible says, let us understand we are running a race, it is set before us, and let us run it with endurance. But we can't run it in our strength. And this is what this session wants to focus us on. How do we run this race? Let's go to verse 2. All of us read verse 2 together. He said we run it with endurance, but verse 2, let's read it together. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And he gave us an example. Who for the joy that, don't stop reading, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, number one, despised the shame, number two, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God demonstrates accomplishment. It demonstrates a finishing, a completion. So he's saying if you want to run this race, you must run it with endurance, but also looking unto Jesus, who gave us an example. A good coach is the one who would be able to tell those he is leading and where possible, give them examples. Now, we know that there are some very successful coaches who have never played the game, but for some reason they understand the strategies, but they will usually have a load of examples they can give. But most coaches will come from the examples of their own life. But just that is a human being. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he first of all endured the cross. It is a race of endurance. Say to your neighbor for me, it is a race of endurance. It means you will persevere. It means you will have every option to want to give up. It means you will be tired. Even Christ himself was tired. How many times did you read? And he was tired and he was hungry. Didn't you read that in your Bible? Many times. Just to show us that as long as you live in this carcass called the flesh, you will be tired. You will be discouraged. But you have to run it with endurance. So he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He said we keep looking unto him because he put a joy before him. Every believer must understand. I've told you, if you don't know any verse in, in the Bible as a Christian and you are living the life, know John chapter 14 verse 1. Go and write it down if you don't know it yet. Jesus said, in my father's house are many what? Mansions. 
He said, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He said, if it was not so, I would not have told you so. Every day you wake up, remember your mansion. Forget about that your five-bedroom house here. It's nothing compared to the mansion we're talking about. <laughs> nothing compared. You know, the moment you think you have seen the best things, in the year 1975, my father bought a Toyota Corolla. My goodness. He brought that car home and we were like, wow, this is it. That car, the, 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 the body, if you, if you are not careful, if you hit it, or if you are the one that will be dented, not the car. <laughs> it was so strong. But we thought this was the best thing that can happen to cars. It had a radio. Somebody say radio. Wow. No tape. No tape. Tape was too advanced. No headrest. You are the one that knows what you need headrest for. No seat belt. I tell you. In this same life. Not, not in the life before now. No seat belt. No headrest. Then what is the airbag? Airbag did not. They didn't even know that that would ever exist. But you know, at that time, we thought that was the best thing. But look at the evolution of cars from that time. When we went to the U.S. in the 1979, we had a car called uh, a Ford Buick. That car is almost as long as half of this building from that side of the world. Believe me, from the bonnet to the end of the boot. I tell you, they used to build those cars, American cars. A boot can build another car in this day and age. They used to be so big and massive. And, you know, I kept on watching the evolution of cars and evolution of cars. And today, we're on our, on our streets. We're virtually driving computers as cars. Virtually. Many of the cars, in five, ten years' times, cars will become so intelligent, so intelligent that you'll be wondering that what, what, you'll be wondering whether you are in a car or you are actually in a computer. Because man can advance. And for me, what that is telling me is that these advancements are pointing to the fact that the mansions in heaven and the things we should keep looking onto Jesus for are surely things that are much better than this earth. So God continues to allow us to see improvements in buildings, in technologies. The tallest building in the world, Burj Khalifa in Dubai, has lifts that travel at 35 miles per hour. Because you can't go to 157 floor with a lift that is going like the lift in your three, three, three story. So there are some lifts. When you want to enter them, you check at the top. You are going to anything less than floor 90, don't go in that lift because it will not stop before floor 90. So it zaps you up like a rocket. I've been in them, not that I'm telling you stories. It zaps you up like a rocket, then stops at 90. Then it starts to behave like a normal lift. <laughs> That is how you get to floor 150 in, in a short time. Man's creativity, demonstrating God's ability and what God has provided for you and I. So whilst we, we revel in God's wisdom in those things around us, they should keep telling us that there is a finisher of our faith who has gone to that place where he is now sat down at the right hand of God the Father and he is interceding for you and I and cheering us on that we must realize that as we are running this race, the ultimate goal is for us to meet him there one day. When that is your thought pattern every day, you can never be the same person. You won't fight anybody. If he comes when you are fighting, what will you do? You won't feel like doing anything that will anger him or annoy him. Because you know clearly that hey, this is a race you have to run with endurance. This is a race that you have to keep your focus like he did. He ran it with endurance and he despised the shame. I want to do a whiz through John chapter 1 to John chapter 3. I will just bring out from each chapter, I mean, throughout this series, what I will say when we are at that week. First, read the whole book of John, of course. It will help you to get everything in context. But when we are focusing on that week, please read everything. Don't just stay on the things we did in the notes, uh, in the sermon, because there is a lot in them. So John chapter 1, John chapter 2, John chapter 3 is our focus this week. So I want to bring out six things, two from each of the chapters that I call six truths. And I will try to make them six truths from each chapter as much as I can, except, of course, God wants to say other things. I just want us to have a kind of frame to it. The first thing I'd like us to realize is in John chapter 1 from verse 1 to 14. Here, right down, he is the eternal word. He is the eternal word and the true light made flesh. 
He is the eternal word and the true light made flesh. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 4. It says, In him was life. Verse 4, sorry. He said, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Go back to verse 1, please. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the eternal word. What, what, why do we need to emphasize this? If you understand Jesus Christ as the eternal word, you will see why we as his believers and his followers do not just accept that he is one of the prophets that came in the space of time and spent some time, in his case 33 and a half years, and that was it. There are many prophets that people believe in today who had done just that. Jesus was with God right from the beginning. He was the word. Everything you heard in John, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when God said, let there be, he was the one declared. Every word declared was Christ in the beginning, in the beginning. So he was there. And then, verse 4, the Bible says that he was in him was life, and that life became the light of men. Just like it, he became the light that shone in the darkness in John, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. When the Bible says darkness covered the earth and gross darkness, the people, uh, God, uh, uh, darkness covered the earth and, and everywhere was void. The Bible says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. In him was that life that brought light to men. And then he physically, verse 14, he physically came and became flesh, verse 14. And the word became flesh. And dwells amongst us, and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the, begot, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was full of grace. Grace is God's power for enablement, for salvation, for performance. Truth is what establishes and enforces the word that is being spoken by God. He was full of grace and truth. And this is why every one of us must understand. The Bible says that when he came, Moses came with the law, but this Jesus, when he appeared, he came with grace and truth. So as the eternal word of God and the true light made flesh, we also become partakers of that divine inheritance of his at new birth. This means that we have the power to live by the word of God and to be guided by his light. That we use it is one thing, that we leverage it is another thing altogether. That it is there is one thing, but that we leverage it is another thing altogether. John chapter 1, verse 12. We're still in John 1. John 1, 12, it says, But as many, verse 12 now, but as many as received him, to them he gave the ticket, the right, the authority, the privilege, the ability to become the children of God. Only those who received him. Now, we are all created by God in this life, no doubt. God created every man. God created everything in the world. That's what the Bible says. But it says, but as many as received him, to those ones he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, we're not religious bigots when we say this. This is the pure word of God. This is what we believe. This is what we live by. It doesn't make us better than other people. It only simply means we are privileged by grace and truth to have come to this saving knowledge. But we have the right. When our children grow and they, come, they get up to secondary school, most of us will make a key of the house for them. In, in this culture, it used to be a very big ceremony from what some of my friends have said to me, that they actually celebrate that day when they give a child a key to go by themselves and come back home in the, in the day. So virtually my whole family and everybody has their own key to come into the house. But you know, the truth is that it's a nice thing when a child... Is given that key, but that is power. That means that child does not depend on another member of the family to enter the house at any time. They have come of age. They have come, they have, they have developed to the point where they can handle that key themselves and open it. That is why the Bible says, as many as received him, he gave them the key, the right to become the sons of God. 
This is why when I find believers who are looking for other believers consistently to pray for them, to, to, to do things for them, and to always talk to them, I say that they are limiting themselves. Now, I understand that when you are a newborn babe, when you are young, you need that thing. But a point comes when you come to maturity and you go to the Father by yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if you are a unit leader or you are a pastor and people, somebody comes to you all the time, don't turn them away. Please, for any reason, never turn them away. But encourage them as you walk with them by faith. And as the journey grows, you monitor. You see how they are developing. And then you start to encourage them. On this matter, you didn't need to come to me. This is all you need to do. You go to God and speak this way. That's what Samuel said. If Eli, that's what Eli said to Samuel. If Eli wanted to be a manipulative prophet, uh, a priest, he would have said to Samuel, the next time he wants to speak to you, come, come to me and tell me. I'll go and listen for you. <laughs> he said, when he speaks again, he said, go back there. He said, when he speaks again, you say what? Speak, Lord, for who is listening? Your, your who? He's a four-year-old boy or three-year-old boy. A priest said, he called him your servant because for God to be speaking to that, it means God has broken every protocol of age and God has decided that he wants to speak. So you must be able to continue to guide people to God. This is the work of pastors. This is the work of churches. We must be raising people to know how to use this right as sons of God. He is not a lazy pastor telling you to go and pray and see God's face. It's not that he's lazy. He's praying for you in the background. But he wants you to use your right. Because when you go before God, you are fully exercising your right to go and speak to him. He is the eternal word. Which means whatever you have seen written in the Bible concerning you is still alive and relevant for today. I don't know why people read the Bible and don't find how it is relevant today. I'm surprised. Many times, if you are walking in the spirit, you will find the script, stories of scripture coming to life in your own life today. You will find it being relevant. Many times, when I'm about to confront a bigger challenge in life, I remember the simple story of little boy David, who said the lion and the bear God gave to me, this Goliath. As simple as that story is, it's a Sunday school primary school story but it's so powerful that it has been guiding me even till today i still remember it for a challenge i'm about to take on this is this is the power in the eternal world it is not a story it's not a storybook the word of god in the letter is not a storybook in behind it there is a spirit and there is life so we are told and we will continue to study those things so he is the eternal word and he is the true light. When we relate with it, it gives us light. When darkness confronts us and situations of life are proving very difficult, when we go into the word of God, he shows us light. That's why the Bible says his word is a lamp unto our feet and is a light unto our path. Psalm 119 verse 105 is a lamp unto our feet, light unto our path. 130 says, for the entrance of that word will always continue to give light gives light. It gives illumination. Hallelujah. This is why we must understand it is the eternal word. Never take the word of God as history. Don't take it literal. Never. When you read it and you don't understand, this one begat this, that one begat this, this one begat, and you are sleeping. Wake up again. Continue the begat, 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 begat. And say, Lord, help me to all these begatting people. <laughs> one day you will just see one light there. Day before yesterday on Friday, I was just reading the Bible, and then I saw that Abraham had a well. Those of you that was in the morning prayer, is what I shared on Friday. You remember? Abraham had wells. We didn't know about them much until Genesis 26. Isaac had, was reopening those wells that Abraham had dug. Is that not what the Bible says? And then we come to John chapter 4. The woman was talking about Jacob's well that has been given down and passed down. And I say, wow. So it is the same wells. Abraham was digging, giving, passing over to Isaac. Isaac passed them over to, uh, to Jacob. Jacob gave it again to Joseph. If you read John chapter 4. He said, this is the one that Jacob had and gave this field to his son, Joseph. That's what the woman said to Jesus. He said, that is where we come to draw water. And then Jesus said, now... I want to use this well, basically my paraphrase, to show you that I am the person they've been pointing to. I am the living water. 
This water has been providing for people for years, just giving natural water. But it is all because they were waiting for the Messiah to come and explain to the world that there is a water that is coming, that when you drink of that water, you will never thirst again. Hallelujah! <laughs> I have been reading those stories for years. See the light. <laughs> so when you are reading Begat, Begat, don't worry. Don't say, what is this Begat, Begat, Begat? Let the Holy Spirit tell you because in every one of those lines are hidden truths. <laughs> Hallelujah. May God continue to give us understanding in the name of Jesus. The second thing is that he is the prophesied lamb and the author of our faith. We read this in the last few verses of John chapter 1. John the Baptist was talking about him. And in verse 29, John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, do you know something? This Lamb has been prophesied and demonstrated right for more than 4,000 years before Jesus appeared. In the very first time man sinned, remember the tunic that God provided after he slew that animal? It was a type of the lamb to cover man's sin. Remember that story? Adam sinned, he covered himself with leaves because his nakedness was exposed. God took an animal, slew that animal, took the skin of that animal, the tunic, the Bible calls it, and put it on Adam and Eve and covered their nakedness. That was God's first attempt to demonstrate that very soon his own lamb, the sacrificial lamb, his own son that will become flesh will come and die for mankind and again shed his blood so that man's sin can be totally taken off. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So when you are eating the mince pies this Christmas and you are singing Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas and exchanging the gifts, Please, remember the Lamb of God. That's what it's all about. And anybody that asks and says, Boy, why do you Christians always like to talk about Christ as Christmas? That is exactly what it is. I heard somebody say, we can't even celebrate Christmas. These Christians, they, they, everything must be about Jesus. Why are they talking about Jesus at Christmas? Let's just celebrate Christmas. I tell you, that is how far the world has moved away from the truth. But the reality is that it is about him. John 1.29, very quickly again. John saw him coming toward him and said, John 1, 29, please, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, every time you pronounce Jesus and Christ, I want you to have a focus. They are the same persons, but every, every, every time you say Jesus, you are talking about him, the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is... Is, is, uh, uh, is dual. He is a deity. The Bible says he is fully God and fully man. Every time you look at the Trinity, God the Father is very distinct in himself. God the Son, very distinct in himself, but he is a deity who has the power of total sonship of God and also the ability to come into this world and be the Son of Man. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. This is why God gave Jesus a name. Why, why would he give? He didn't give Christ a name that is above name every other name because Christ has been existing. Christ is and Christ is to come. Christ is that one that has always been. Jesus manifested in the flesh. Look at it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Look at it. Let's read it together. But while, this is Joseph now, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a, say, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, everybody, let's read verse 21. Loud and clear. Verse 21, please. Verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you, you shall call his name, what? Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. He will be the manifestation of that lamb that has always been demonstrated in John chapter 3. Again, we saw it in, in Genesis chapter 3. Again, we saw it in Genesis chapter 22 when Isaac was asked to be sacrificed by Abraham. Remember, what did God do? God provided a what? A lamb. 
and then I, and Abraham sacrificed that lamb in the place of Isaac. Again, a, a type of the lamb of God that was to be slain. The angel said to Joseph, says she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is why Philippians 2 tells us that that was why he, when he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, and he endured the cross, like we read in Hebrews 12 too, and he endured the cross, he despised the shame. The Bible says that that was why God highly exalted him and now gave him a name above every other name. Christ is exalted permanently. Jesus earned his exaltation. Jesus earned his exaltation by becoming obedient to death. Because he was flesh and blood like you and I. That's why when they pierced him at the side, blood and water came out. He was flesh and blood and he lived in his humanity here on earth. And his death pointed to the ultimate sacrifice representing and doing away with all the bulls and all those things that had been used aforetime. It is important for us. That is why we pray in the name of Jesus. When you pray as a Christian, understand why you say in the name of Jesus. Don't just say we pray in God's name. He has given Jesus a name. Use it. Don't just say we pray this prayer in God's name. That's religious prayer. Sounds okay. But you say God has given him what? A name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. So this is why we must explain to people that we pray in the name of Jesus because that is the exalted name. Every one of us must understand this. And so he is the author. He is the prophesied Lamb of God and the author of our faith. If you read John chapter 1 from right through from verse 40, the Bible talks about right up to the end of the chapter, it talks about how he called the first disciples. He is the author of our faith as he called Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, Let's look at just some examples. John chapter 1, verse 40. It said, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the what? The Messiah, which is now translated what? Christ. And he brought him to who? Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. But Simon, the reed, my emphasis, son of Jonah, he said, but you shall be called Cephas because you are translated a stone, which is translated a stone. What does that mean to us? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. This is another truth that many believers just gloss over. Cannot continue to be a reed when he has made you into a stone. Cannot continue to live the same way you are living in fear, in, in shakiness, flakiness, instability. You cannot continue to live that way when he has made you stable. He has made you a rock. He has made you solid. Every one of us must understand this very well. He said you shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. So he is our, the author of our faith, but he also empowers us that through this sonship, we become strong, we become people who are of purpose. This saving, gift, give, this saving grace or gift is a gift from God. It's not something we can do by ourselves. Now, this is not a jumpy, jumpy, jumpy type message, but I am telling you, and I'm urging you, please listen, note these scriptures, listen to this tape after. Some of the things that I'm sharing with you here, for the next till Jesus comes, will be holding you strong in your prayer life, in your ability to understand God, and in your relationship with Christ, in Jesus' name. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not our doing, but the gift of God. So none of us earn salvation. When those disciples came, the Bible says they followed him. And then he began to call them one by one. He said, you are Simon. 
No longer will you be called Simon. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So he is the author of our faith. Say with me, thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the author of my faith. When you know this, you will know that you came to Christ in salvation. You did not respond to the faith. Many people who responded to the faith out of emotions or just became Christians by just doing some religious thing, attending church and so on, will always find that in the days of testing, there is no anchor to hold. This is why we must be sure. We must be sure that we are saved. And we must be sure that truly our, he, he is the author of our salvation. Number three. We go to John chapter 2 now. I'll move quicker because of time. John chapter 2. This is the third point I want us to make. He is the miracle working sustainer of our faith. You see, our faith is a race, like we said earlier. He is the author. He has started us off on the journey. Now, for us to get to the finish line, we need to endure. We need all those things, but we also need his miracle working need his miracle working power in us, and we need his miracle working power through us to others. This is why believers must understand that you cannot be a believer and just live ordinarily. Rob yourself of the miracle working power of the author of your faith when you live like anybody else. But when you press into, by faith, his miracle working power, you find your life speaking of great things. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This was when there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. The Bible says, verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And verse 8, he said to them, draw out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. You all know what this story is? There was an embarrassment to happen to people. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus and his disciples were all there. The wine finished. If you're organizing a big event, you know how, that, how distressing that can be. When the major things that you're serving people in refreshments just come to an end. Most of us don't like it. If you have organized big events, you will see that it's not something you want to get to. These people were about to be embarrassed. And we're told that those days, they used to have those marriage feasts for days. So it's a lot of wine they drunk. That's why he said, fill the six water pots with water. Now what does that signify to us today? We all know that every time we see the reference to the water in the Bible, it talks about the word of God. We consistently fill ourselves with the word of God. So that in the day of testing, in the day that we need to produce and release of the miraculous water, we are able to let go of the things that are needed for the situation. It is water that went into the pot, but it is wine that went out. It is the word of God that goes into you, but it is wisdom that goes out. It is the word of God that goes into you. It is money that comes out. It is the word of God that goes into you. It is creativity that comes out. It is an ability to write an exam that comes out. It is a supernatural ability to counsel that comes out. It is water that goes into you, but it is a supernatural and creative way to talk to your wife or to your husband that comes out. It is water that goes into you, but it is the natural things of life that are needed to make you avoid embarrassment that comes out. Learn how to fill yourself every time with the water. I always ask myself, what if those people never did that? What if they say, this is the most foolish thing we have heard. We are looking for water, we are looking for wine, and this man is talking water, he must be crazy. You know, some people did think that he was crazy. Did it. In the same John, we'll get to it, in John 6, when he said, eat my, <laughs> eat my body and drink my blood, they said, this is madman. <laughs> now we are convinced that he is crazy. <laughs> so, these people in the wedding could have said the same thing. They could have said the same thing. They would have just said, this man doesn't understand. We need. So I want us to understand the importance of this. Christ is the son of the living God. Jesus typifies him as the son of man. Christ is the son of the living God. Remember what uh, Peter said in Matthew 16 when he asked them, verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say I am? 
Matthew 16, 15. He said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Every one of us must understand. He is the Lamb of God. He is the author of our faith. But we must never forget he is the Christ. Every time we call him the Christ, we evoke his messianic power, his soon coming king power, his reigning power. He, we, we, we put him as the one who is the ultimate. Know that here on earth, in heaven and under the earth, God has given Jesus a name that is above every other name. But we know that it is Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he said to him, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. Because this is a deep mystery. As many people that know him as the Christ, they will always walk in the miraculous working power of the Christ. That is why Mary said to them, whatever he said to you to do, just do it. Just do it. Don't struggle. Don't struggle. Say, I know what to do. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Who am I? God said, do it this way. You say, I know what to do. Eh? Whether it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. This is not dogmas. People say, oh, these, these brainwashed Christians, yeah, brainwash this, brainwash that. You don't get spiritual things. If you understand spiritual things, you do foolish things at times. That's why Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 1 Corinthians 1.18. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. If you say, do not neglect the assembling together of one another, you say, well, this is modern age. This is 2021, man. I can be anywhere, anytime, and have church, man. <laughs> You missed the point. He said, do not neglect. Simple command obedience is required. We don't come to church because we feel it is convenient or we have nothing else to do. Some of us are busier than you can see. What you see. We're busier. We're busier. That's why we, use, we carry gadgets about. Carry gadgets because many activities are taking place at the same time. <laughs> Every time. They are taking place at the same time. My, my car people sent me something that I can subscribe to. They said, if I subscribe to it, this one will be doing everything for me. It will read my emails. It will do it. I said, no, I don't want any more. <laughs> when I'm driving, I want to enjoy driving. <laughs> don't read one notorious email to me again. <laughs> you know, gone are the days. Gone are the days. I was taking my daughter to, to some appointment on Thursday, and I had to join a meeting, a very serious meeting on, on our campus. And uh, I said to them, I started in the computer at home. And I said to them, I'm about to start driving. So I won't, you won't see my video anymore, but I'll be hooked up on the meeting. I came into the meeting with my phone. Presto was talking to them as if I was, uh, when I was a little boy, we saw that thing in a guy called Smart Rider. Some of you don't know this story. There was a guy who had a car that was talking to him in the 80s. And we were watching that thing. I said, this can never happen. <laughs> So I'm now a smart writer myself. <laughs> and I was having this meeting, making inputs. Making inputs as if I was sat there. This is the world we are living today. So we are all busy. Don't tell me about busy. You don't know busy. Come and live with me for one week. Then you will know busy. Wake up with me at 4 a.m. Put on the prayer every morning. <laughs> you will know busy. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I'm not trivializing our life experiences. I'm only just saying we need this miracle working power. And all we need is obedience. Somebody say obedience. Whatever he says to you to do, just do it. You want to enjoy consistency in this miraculous working power? It is not a show. It's not until you go, they lay hands on you and put anointing and all those. No, 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 no. Just simply use your right as the son of God to be hearing him and to be obeying him. Your life will be a living miracle. I say your life will be a living miracle. In the name of Jesus. It hurts me so much when people that God has made living miracles are looking for miracles. Shouldn't be looking for miracles. Shouldn't be looking for miracles. When I get into my house, I don't look for things that have already been provided there. You don't look for those things because they're already there. You just go in, you use them. Every member of the family has access to them. They use them. Why do we Christians look for things that God has already given us? The power to be called the son of God is more than anything you ever need. 
I am not asking that you don't let people pray for you or believe in uh, conventions and miracle things. But I am telling you, we have robbed this generation of the truth by not letting them know very well that we all have access. I am not better than you. No pastor anywhere is better than you. I am only doing a work of expounding the word to you consistently. And that is what every leader here should do. Expound the word consistently so that you too can access the same things that I am accessing. And may God continue to deliver to us all in Jesus' name. This has nothing to do with not giving respect to one another or honoring giftings. That's not what I'm talking about. But this idea where we are idolizing men and making men in one pedestal bigger and better than others is not of God. And the church must continue to do everything they can to read it out because it is robbing us of the ability to live our potential here on earth. But God will keep delivering us in Jesus' name. Number four point, he is the embodiment of our sanctification and resurrection power. This is from John chapter 2 from verse 13. He is the embodiment of our sanctification and resurrection power. John chapter 2, 16. Bible says he went into the temple and those who sold doves, he said, take away these things. Take away these things. Thank you. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise verse 17 then his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your father's house or your house has eaten me up go to verse 19 jesus answered and said to them destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up destroy this temple and in three days now people there thought that he was talking about the physical temple where he was driving people out but of course the bible makes us to understand that he was talking about himself what is the point I'm trying to make here? You see, some of our fathers took this verse literally. The church I was born in, you are not allowed to sell anything in that church. Anything. So they don't sell anything. Whether it's church sticker or church, they don't sell nothing. <laughs> because they read here that Christ was very angry. <laughs> not to talk of you bringing one business to sell in the church. No, 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 it was not allowed. Now, in a way, it helped, but that was really taking it in the literal. Okay. But the reality is this. Say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. The reality is that just like Jesus Christ was talking about his body, talking about your body, that type, of course, he's still getting rid of nonsense in the church today. He's still making sure that whatever the enemy wants to use to prevail against his church, he has declared that he will build his church, the gates will not prevail, the gates of hell will not prevail. He's still fighting the enemy on our behalf, no doubt. But much more, he's talking about your physical person, your body. He said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house where the spirit of my father dwells. Don't make it a merchandise. This is why you should understand as a Christian that he's walking in your life to make sure that whatever is not working, Whatever is causing a physical challenge, an emotional imbalance, anything that is causing you stress and strain is not his will for you and he's working very hard to cleanse that temple. You need to know how to yield your temple to him consistently. You need to know how to trust him to keep cleansing your body because this your body, whilst it is a carcass that will go back to the ground, it is the container of God in you and it is also the convener of every vision God has given to you. You need it to function well. You need your mind to be sound. When your mind is polluted with problems and cares of this world, you can't reason well. When your body is always weak, you want to stand up and do things that can be productive, you can't. So you have to keep yielding this, your body, to the cleansing power, the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, he said, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead be in you, how much more is it able to quicken your mortal body? You have it in you. He can give life. I say he can give life. And he is giving life to your body in the name of Jesus. Colossians 2, 9, he said, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Jesus Christ. 
So our faith in Christ allows us to have access to the fullness of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Working in us, they rid us of every filthy thing. They rid us of those things that are attempting to limit us. You must be smart. I was having an interview very recently, very important interview, probably the most important vocational job interview I've ever taken in my life because it was to give me a position that was very senior in a university, which by the grace of God, eventually got to me by his grace. Amen. But it was a four-stage interview, and um, they were asking me questions of areas I did not, you know, I can't know anything about because I'm meant to manage programs across the university. So programs... I'm very comfortable with construction, built environment. That is my life for 30 years, so I can say anything, almost anything about it from sleep. But then I will manage nursing, I will manage business, I will manage law, all those kind of programs. They will come under my portfolio as well. So they took me on, because they brought people from those subject areas to say, so what are you going to do? So the nurse person asked me, what are you going to do to help us to increase our numbers in nursing programs? I sat down. I said, what am I going to say? Then I remember that my wife is a nurse. <laughs> I just replayed all the places that she has worked in the last 10, 12 years that she's been practicing. I replayed it very quickly in about five seconds. I remember different sectors and God helped her. She's worked NHS, non-NHS, private. She has worked a lot. So all those things replayed in my mind. The Holy Spirit said, ask them, do you have clients outside the NHS? They said they don't, that right now all their clients is NHS. I say, ah, that is it. I say, we can grow numbers. <laughs> the private sector is there. The community practice is there. And they were looking at me. After all, this guy is not a nurse. So for him to know that, he must know something. They didn't know that it's my wife's life I was there. <laughs> the Bible says, that very hour, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. When we say quicken our mortal bodies, many of us think about sickness alone. It means your mind will be sharp. Do you know that in this country, if you can't be sharp, you can't get to certain places. You can't move beyond certain things, especially if we are going to look at demographics. I'll put it that way. You know what I'm talking about. You can't go. You have to be sharp. So if you don't know, you don't. You are not born here. You don't know many things. So if the Holy Spirit is not telling you a lot of things, you'll be short. Even if you were born here, raised here, when you go to some certain places, believe me, if you go to London area, it's like a different part of the world of this country. Everything is different. The more you move to the south, you'll be wondering whether you are still in this country. The only thing that reminds you that you are in this country is the architecture. That's the only thing. The mannerism, the, the challenges, the things are very different. The fast life that is down there is very different. Fast pace. If you stop in one place, you get a ticket before you know it. You cross yellow line, <laughs> double boxes, all those ones. You get a camera and snapping you. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you need this sanctification and resurrection power at work in you. This is who Jesus is. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Number five, number five. I'll rush now because I've got two more points very quickly to give you. We come to John chapter three. He is the finisher of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. Let's quickly recap. I'll give you for my notes. Number one, he is the what? Eternal word and the true light made flesh. He is the eternal word and the true light made flesh. Number two, he is the prophesied lamb of God and the author of our faith. Number three, he is the miracle-working sustainer of our faith. We need a life of miracles that he gives to us to continue to function effectively in our faith journey. Number four, he is the embodiment of our sanctification and resurrection power. Number five, he is the finisher of our faith. John chapter 3, verse 17. Say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. John 3, 17. But that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him, I put in paraphrase, is condemned already because he has not, that person has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. And verse 19, this is where condemnation comes in. This is what we must understand, verse 19. Let's read verse 19 together. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. It's a choice of men. 
It's a choice of men to choose darkness to light. It's a choice of a couple to continue to wallow in darkness rather than following the simple light of honoring one another and submitting to one another and loving as God said. It's a choice. It's a choice of a child to obey their parents in the Lord or walk in darkness of not doing so. It's a choice. It's a choice for a father not to provoke his child to wrath. It's a choice. You can keep doing it foolishly, but you see darkness and darkness and darkness. He said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Evil is always sweet, like the very first fruit. It's always attractive. It's a choice to live a life that, that you don't have extramarital affairs. It's a choice. Everybody is tempted by it. Don't say, I've never been tempted. I would never be. You are deceiving yourself. Very, very big deceiver. (laughs) Hallelujah. It is a choice. You are the one that will say, no, this is my boundary. Hallelujah. So when you have a a friend or a work colleague or somebody that is just within some sphere that you meet and it's a normal relationship, normal talk, and then suddenly you find that this person is thinking another way. That is when you draw that line and say, no, no. I make a choice not to walk in. I don't love darkness than light. I want to walk in light. Hallelujah. It will cost you a lot. At times it can be very violent. For some people, they throw it up violently. But it doesn't matter. It's better you face that violence now than to go to hell and face some violence there. (laughs) And face some violence there. Protect yourself. Jesus Christ is the finisher of our faith. The Bible says, if you believe him, you will walk in light. That is, you will get to the finish line. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? There is no condemnation for you. I said, there is no condemnation for you. The only thing, Romans 8.1, he said, Do not walk according to the flesh. Don't walk according to the flesh. The flesh will always tell you, do it this way. React this way. Do this. You don't walk according to the flesh. You have to walk according to the Spirit. As many that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Hallelujah. Final point is that he must increase as we decrease. This is what the Bible says in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase. But John made this very profound statement. We are coming to you. I'm just giving a narrative of the story. People were coming to you before. Now they are going to him. That you pointed to as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Don't you see you are losing followers? Don't you see you are losing you are losing popularity? Yeah. Don't you see you are losing fame? He said, no, you guys got the point wrong. <laughs> Why some people backslide? We are saved. Everything was genuine, but then some friends were falling off. Some relationships were dying off. And then people say, can't you see that you are you are losing you are losing ground? Don't you see that many people don't like you anymore? Don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you see? And they say, that's true. So they go back to the old ways. John the Baptist at that point could have said, that is true. That is true. Don't believe him. Don't believe him. Come back to me. <laughs> Come back to me. John 3.30, put it back up. He said, no, what you guys must know is this. He must increase. I must decrease. Anybody who says to me, if not that I'm born again, I would have dealt with that man. You are still very, very high. Not only increase. <laughs> I would have given him a holy slap. There is no holy slap anywhere. <laughs> Pastor, if not that I was born again. Eh? Eh, <laughs> you are still increasing. You must decrease. You must decrease. Your nature should be that of godliness. That of forgiveness. That, that is gentle as a dove. Wise as a serpent. Second Corinthians three eighteen. When we are with the unveiled face, same image, you can become exactly like Christ. You can. That is what the disciples did, and they said this must be followers of Christ. They are not learned. They don't know what they are. They are not. They are fishermen, ordinary men, but the way they are, they must have been with Jesus. That's what should be said of us. Because we are being transformed from one. Let us continue to receive the grace to decrease so that he can continue to increase. The truth of the matter is that for every Christian, the more Christ increases in you, 
the more you find yourself living heaven on earth. Many people don't know this. You will have a very light heart. You can't have capacity to hold people in your heart again. You have a natural distaste for sin. You will not want to lie. When you lie, something smites you. If you are increasing, the more you lie, the more you just be speaking like that. But when you are decreasing, when you lie, something tells you that was not right. And you do everything you can to try to correct it. Do you know I listen to my own messages? If I gave you figures that are inaccurate, I find ways to correct it. I try as much as possible not to let it happen. But when I listen, I say, ah, I say 50 there. It's not 50, 35. <laughs> then I find a way. As God helps to make sure I correct it and put it right. Maybe the next message I pray, I say, one time I said it's 50. No, but it's 35. Integrity has to be. Stand to your feet. We have to come to a place where he is consistently, consistently increasing in our lives. I pray that God brings you to that place because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. In the name of Jesus. We are going to break bread this morning very quickly. And I want to assure you that by the grace of God, as you partake of this bread... And as you partake of this cup, what will come to you is the ability to continually receive the transformation power, working in you, making, him, making you more like him, in the name of Jesus. But everyone under the sound of my voice, please pray with me. If you need to be born again, this prayer is for you. If you need to rededicate your life, it is also for you. Well, well.